to cover or not to cover? That is the question. A question that literally no one has ever asked, and even including when discussing cover crops. My name is Louis Colabertolo, and I am trying my absolute best over here to get a PhD in food science. And when I should be working, and I really am not, I like to talk with other graduate students about what they're doing and how it's impacting us in the real world. Well, I certainly can't answer Shakespeare's question about cover crops, but I do know that Dan Colcock can. Dan taught me what a cover crop was. Turns out it's a plant that's grown, not specifically for profit, but for multiple benefits that it does for the soil that it grows on. And we know that plants and crops need a lot of nutrients to grow well. That one nutrient that they love the most is nitrogen. But honestly, Dan does a better job of explaining. Nitrogen is king. It is needed in the highest amount of all nutrients. So if you have something that can give you that nitrogen, that's obviously an, an advantage, right? So Potentially, this makes cover crops the kingmaker. Now, I've never been a fan of the monarchy, but I'm willing to hear a little bit more about cover crops. While listening to this episode, remember that we're both graduate students. We don't know everything, but that's why you're listening to an episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi, Dan. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm 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 pretty good over here. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I could lie. <laughs> well, I won't. I won't. There's no reason for me to. I'm doing good. And uh, today, in general, in general, what are we talking about today? We're talking about cover crops and ways to improve farmer uptake of cover crops. I every day in my life, I wake up and I say I need to find a way for farmers to improve the pro- what was it? The implementation and just the overall usage in Ontario. Yeah, that's actually what I say every morning. (laughs) I don't know how you knew that. So, okay. All right, all right. We're talking science today. You are in plant agriculture here at the University of Guelph. Yes, that's correct. And you said to yourself, you, you were growing up as a child and you just were fascinated by plant agriculture. Yeah, so I guess just a little bit of backstory on myself. I'm from Woodstock, Ontario, so it's about 45 to 50 minutes, depending on how fast you drive, to <laughs> uh, from, from Guelph. I actually grew up on a farm. Uh, we essentially sell blueberries, elderberries. Uh, we have some fall ornamental crops. We grow some cash crops. So I've been around agriculture my entire life, which I guess led me to my undergrad degree, which was also at Guelph. I did an undergrad degree in uh, crop science, finished that. And I honestly didn't really know what I was thinking of doing. I feel like a lot of people are in that same type of boat. And I had this opportunity for a master's degree and I was like, you know what, let's let's do it. I've been passionate about agriculture. I like research, I like science. So, you know, what better to mix all those things than a master's degree at the University of Guelph. Yeah, that's uh, that's very fair. It sounds like a good origin story. It's not necessarily like a superhero origin story. You didn't your your farm wasn't hit by a meteor, and you're not like trying to redeem your family's fortune or anything. 
No, nothing, nothing quite like that. Nothing quite like that. But still a very good upbringing. I, I think uh, depending on where you live and where you grow up, a lot of people are incredibly disconnected from really the concepts of farms. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen those bumper stickers that say, like, uh, farmers, farms feed cities. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. But then, and then yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, well, do people not know where the food comes from yeah. and i wonder if they do i yeah. i've heard that people in the city really don't understand that food has to be grown no and that's that's something that it's not necessarily the focus of my project and it's not necessarily the focus of anyone's project here at guelph but it is such an important thing just to be able to communicate agriculture not even just agriculture but science in general which is you know one of the big reasons i definitely want to be here and and, and talk about my research Absolutely. All right. So cover crops. You said cover crops. I said cover crops. What in the world is a cover crop? A cover crop can have a lot of definitions, but if you were to really boil it down to essentially what it would be, it is anything that you can grow that you're not necessarily going to economically benefit from. A lot of the times, commonly in Ontario, it is a crop that is planted outside of our typical growing season. So Typically in Ontario, we grow a rotation of corn, followed by soybeans, followed by winter wheat. After winter wheat is harvested, there is a period right around the summertime where there really is nothing growing. But we still have this opportunity. We still have these this, this temperature, this great temperature. It's only in August. There's nothing in the ground. So one of the problems with not having anything there is all of a sudden we have, we, if we get, say, a big rain event, our soil can be literally washed away. And with that, nutrients can be washed away. All these good things that we need to continue to grow our crops for everyone. So this is kind of where cover crops come in. So you can plant this cover crop and it will hold the soil, literally hold the soil with the roots and stop this type of thing. And that's only one example. There's lots of different benefits of cover crops. So, but if I had to boil it down, that's essentially what a cover crop is. All right. So if I understand this correctly, uh, I don't want to call you a bad farmer. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you told me you're deliberately planting something with no intention of economical benefit from it. Yeah, I think yeah, from yeah. a business strategy, terrible idea. Yeah, terrible idea. So you're going to need to sell me on this concept of the cover crop. You got to give me. You got to. You got to help me out here. Yeah. You said that it holds onto soil. Yeah. And I don't. I mean, like I'm scratching my head right now. Physically, is it scratching? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how does what? How does how does a plant hold onto soil? Like, is yeah. it? Like, tell me. Well, actually, the roots are holding onto the soil, so that's that's one thing. But it actually kind of happens in two ways as well. So if you think about, and I'm not going to use too big a terminology because I myself don't know the exact terminology, <laughs> uh, but through literature reviews and and so on and so forth, I've I've read about another way that cover crops actually uh, stop the soil from moving. And it's actually the reduction of the kinetic energy of the rain. So when the rain is coming down, if you didn't have any crop there, it is going to be pounding on the soil. It can, it has more force, driving force, uh, which has the potential to move the soil. Now, if you have a cover crop there and you have some biomass all of a sudden on top of this used to be barren soil, 
the rain is not going to have the same effect when it actually hits the soil itself. Like it's obviously the the velocity of the raindrops is going to be completely reduced. And especially in the summer in Ontario, you know, I'm sure you've experienced one of those big pop-up thunderstorms that come out of nowhere and we just get like bucket loads of rain. And it hurts. Like yeah, the raindrops yeah. physically hurt if you get yeah. caught into it. So imagine, you know, you're the soil now. I'm like, soil now. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That... That blows my mind. Yeah. I, I have never even considered that. Yeah. At no point in my life did I ever think, like, it's almost as if these plants are kind of like umbrellas to yeah. some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Or at That's least they say. slow the water down. Yeah. They yeah. they might not completely protect from that. Yeah. But that is fascinating. All right. Cover crop. Yeah. I, I don't know. How many times am I going to say it? I feel like I'm just going to, every time I don't know what to say, I'm just going to say, Cover crop. All right. So these cover crops, they are planted during off seasons. Yes. And I hate to break it to anyone that is uh, listening right now. We're in Canada and it's cold in Canada. It's cold quite often in Canada and for quite a long amount of time. So these cover crops, as you said, it seems like you're planting them in like the most ideal season to grow things. You said it was August or or midsummer. Yeah, and this is just specifically for corn, soybeans, winter wheat rotation, and it works out very well that winter wheat is harvested in the summer. So it'll you know you still have August, September, October, but so- it's winter wheat. But it's when yeah, so it's, I I could explain a little bit about winter wheat if if you'd like. I do. I want to yeah. understand. Okay. This. Okay. So winter wheat, if you look at it from just the entire system perspective, it usually comes after soybeans. If we imagine we backtrack a year, soybeans are usually harvested in the fall. After that, right after that, let's say in October, actually it's probably more like September farmers are actually going to go in and plant their wheat. So the wheat that they're going to harvest the next summer, they're going to plant it, and it's essentially going to overwinter. And what it does is it it needs this winter to actually be able to elongate and grow. If it doesn't have this winter, the seed will grow, but the plant won't actually get taller, and it won't actually produce the viable seed. So it's grown over the winter. Hence, it is called winter wheat. Now, there is different types of wheat, there's spring wheat, but primarily in Ontario, we would be growing winter wheat. We got a lot of winter here. Yeah, we do. We do. This is – I <laughs> I am not kidding. This is blowing my mind. I, I, I tend to be very amused by very small things, but, like, it grows in the winter? Not, not necessarily grows, but it, it requires the winter to grow. Uh, to grow effectively the next year. Okay. Yes. It's yes. like getting ready. It's, it's a psych up. Exactly. That right? would be a good way to look at it. Pre-game yeah. maybe. Yes. Yes. So, wow. Wow. And, and that's not even what we're really talking about today. <laughs> no, and no. I walked into this studio today. I walked into this studio as a 30-year-old adult, and I had no idea that winter wheat was actually in the ground in the winter. <laughs> I just – I don't even know what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I just – it's amazing thing. <laughs> like I just, I don't even have an answer. Okay, let's step away from the winter wheat, yeah. fascinating as it may be, and talk about 
the cover crops. Like, yeah. I can't stop saying that word. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what are some examples of cover crops? Yeah. So a cover crop can be really anything. And that's, I know it's not great to be very general, but it's such a general thing. Because there's so many different advantages of cover crop, different types of cover crops offer different advantages. Uh, a couple different crops or cover crops that are used, you could classify them as grasses, or you could also classify them as legumes. Now, a legume is, is any plant that takes nitrogen, fixes it out of the air, and it actually doesn't need any uh, supplemental nitrogen, which is great, which is good. Um, so, for example, if you're looking for uh, some nitrogen or some nutrient benefits to your next crop, you could plant a legume such as red clover. And in Ontario, red clover is a very popular cover crop. It is actually grown in winter wheat. So the cover crop, as you said, there's all different kinds. Yeah. And we have yeah. legumes. Yeah. And then you said something about nitrogen fixing. Yeah. That, What's your favorite that, legume? Favorite legume? It would have to be red clover. I've That's been, your favorite on... Out of all of them, <laughs> really, that you're, it seems biased. You, there's not a single legume that you like more than red clover. I I, I can't say no. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with red clover. I'm gonna stick with my guns. I'm gonna stick with red clover. I'll give you points for originality, <laughs> but nobody has ever answered that question with red clover before. Okay, but the nitrogen fixing. Yeah. Yes. So basically, what happens with these legumes is they, is they form these relationships with these soil bacteria, and what happens, and it's a symbiotic relationship, so that both parties benefit from it. These bacteria actually bind to the root, and from the root they take uh, carbon, they take kind of plant nutrients from from the root. So that's kind of their benefit from joining this plant, but. The plant's benefit is that now this uh, association, this bacteria that is now formed, can actually produce nitrogen for it. So in any sort of cropping system, if not even not even just looking at legumes, but any crop, nitrogen is king. It is needed in the highest amount of all nutrients. So if you have something that can give you that nitrogen, that's obviously an, an advantage, right? It's 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 just it's just a very beneficial relationship and that's nitrogen fixation is in a nutshell. It'll take the nitrogen out of the air and bring it into the plant. Like what what more could you ask for? I I don't think I could ask for any more. <laughs> At this point it sounds pretty crazy there. Yeah. And I'm assuming fertilizer is a big cost for farmers. Yep. And if this is kind of almost like fertilizing on its own, but it's not fertilizing itself. It's like providing for future generations. Yes, in in a sense, yeah. And that's kind of what my research is kind of one aspect of it is looking at that. So if if we kind of boil it down and we think about it, we're not actually adding fertilizer, we're adding nitrogen from the air, which is still putting nitrogen in the soil in just in, in the plant. Now, this nitrogen in the plant can still go to the soil and, like you said, be used in, in future generations. However, it needs to break down. And this is where nitrogen and nitrogen dynamics gets very complicated. It's not a simple relationship that if I plant this cover crop, say red clover, and I plant, say, corn the next year, you're not, you're not guaranteed to get that fertilizer. 
So you need research, and this is kind of where I come in. I'm looking at planting various legumes, not not just red clover, but various legumes that may not be as common in Ontario. And I'm looking at trying to answer this question, at least this is my one question, is how well does that nitrogen that was in the plant, that was in the legume, that the legume took up, how well does it actually move to the corn crop? It's a very convoluted web. If I showed you a picture, it'd be, you know, all the ways that nitrogen could disappear. It is, you'd be, you'd be blown away. But that's kind of where I am at. And that's a part of my project. So nitrogen dynamics, it almost sounds like it's a special yoga class. (laughs) Like, oh, welcome to nitrogen dynamics. Today, we will be observing how nitrogen goes into the air. And in water. I don't know. Like, so you said nitrogen escapes. What are some of those ways that it escapes? Well, I like to think of a soil system as this big connection of pipes. You know, like PVC pipe, like plastic pipes, and you can connect them all. And, you know, you have pipe, and it has all these different, like, fittings on it. You can open it. You can close it. So imagine this pipe that goes all the way down through the soil, and at the end of the pipe is just kind of down to nowhere and and probably in the middle of the pipe is where the plant is but along the way in this pipe we have these opening and closing now depending on different environmental conditions for example if you have a lot of moisture and especially heavy rainfall can actually wash nitrogen away in the soil so if we if we think back to that previous example that th- this pipe example now all of a sudden one of those valves that was near the top not quite at the plant yet but that was near the top is now more open than it should be so if we think of nitrogen as like this solution that's coming from the very top it's going down but you have this opening here so now all of a sudden it's, it's escaping so instead of having a hundred percent of this nitrogen you now have say 60 percent of it we want yeah, we the want nitrogen exactly. we want it exactly. we, want, we don't want to get rid of it yeah so now what happens as as farmers and as agronomists and basically everyone in agriculture, we have to figure out, okay, how's the, what's the best way that we can manage this? And what's the best way that we can environmentally and economically sustain kind of nitrogen loss? We want to minimize it as much as possible. There is environmental problems with nitrogen leaving soil and, and, and being removed. There's economical problems. It's very expensive. So we really need to do our best to, to manage how little nitrogen escapes. All right. We want to keep all the nitrogen. Yep. We are not nitrogen outsourcing. Yeah. We, we do not want to send our nitrogen anywhere else. Yeah. Nitrogen is ours and we need to retain it. I'm Imagining, and I think this is a terrible analogy, but I'm going <laughs> to say it anyways because my heart wants to say it. Yeah. Although realistically, it's a bad one. Are you trying to create a nitrogen prison? You know what? We kind of are. And if I could go back to cover crops, this is another benefit of cover crops is cover crops can actually take up nitrogen. And especially when we look in the fall time. Think of the fall. What what do you think when you look in? If you were to drive out in the country, and you, and you go to a field, like in the fall time slash winter, there's probably going to be a lot of moisture there. There's a lot like our fields could be flooded. There's there's a lot of water there. Now with that water comes problems for nitrogen. So nitrogen is actually very it's water soluble. It exists in water. It moves in water, uh, especially in the form of nitrate. But we'll just refer to it as nitrogen for this point. Now, 
this nitrogen with all this water can all of a sudden be moved anywhere other than the field. And that's bad. We don't want that. Like I just said, we have environmental problems. We have economic problems with this nitrogen loss. So cover crops, specifically grass cover crops, so something like oats, maybe cereal rye, That's an, those are some examples of cover crops, can actually, if they're planted, and especially when they're growing, take up this nitrogen. So instead of the nitrogen just being kind of willy-nilly in the soil everywhere and potentially getting lost away, it's now in the plant. And the nitrogen can't be lost if it's in the plant. If it's out of the plant, it can be, but if it's in the plant, it's there. It's locked away. It can't wash away from it, the plant. It, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you then want the nitrogen in the plant in that case. Yes. And yes. you will profit off of oats and rye and those things. Yeah. So does that make these grasses a cover crop? They do. And again, I, I talked about it at the beginning depending on what you want from a cover crop will dictate what cover crop you have. So yeah, it, an oat is definitely a cover crop. If you're looking to reduce nitrogen loss, it's a great cover crop option. However, if we're looking at feeding our next crop, specifically say a corn crop, oats may not be the best thing. These plants, these cover crops, are eventually going to release the nitrogen. However, if our next crop is a corn crop, corn needs nitrogen in a very specific time. So if that oat crop doesn't actually give its nitrogen at that specific time, you're not actually going to see a benefit from that oat crop being there if you're just specifically looking at nitrogen. Now, red clover, on the other hand, has a very synchronized release pattern with when corn actually needs that nitrogen, which is why it's a very common and popular cover crop in Ontario if people are looking specifically to feed that corn crop with nitrogen. Okay, so you keep going back to red clover, yes. and I understand you have a lot of biases towards <laughs> red clover, but that relationship is so interesting. Now, uh, up until this point, you know, I've I've killed most all houseplants that I've ever had. I'm just, that's just not my Same. skill <laughs> very well, but... So so the corn needs nitrogen at a different time mm -hmm. than it's, it's not just like, oh, just give it as much nitrogen as you can the entire time. Yep, exactly. It wants nitrogen at specific stages in its life. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And something like red clover gives its nitrogen back at this same time. Exactly. That's... That's amazing. Yeah. That's it. Okay, research over. We're done, right? <laughs> well, hopefully. I mean, no. <laughs> Ultimately, what are you what are you doing? Like, uh, if if you know this relationship, what's the point of paying you to learn this stuff? Yeah. So, one of the biggest problems with red clover, I've been I've been talking about it a lot. I've obviously I you know how I feel about red clover. I, do. I love it. But that's not to say that there isn't any problems with red clover. Now, one of the biggest problems in Ontario specifically is moisture. And especially when red clover is growing, if it doesn't get adequate moisture, it can actually die. So in saying that, if the red clover is dying, are we really getting the nitrogen? Well, no. The cover crop isn't there. It's not fixing this nitrogen. It's not, it's not creating biomass. And that biomass is really what's feeding the crop the next year. So... This leads me to my research. At one part of my research, maybe there's some other crops other than red clover, other legume 
crops that we can grow in place of red clover and maybe they're going to yield a little better because specifically when we look in Ontario cover crop research there's not a lot of novel legume cover crops that have been researched so my advisor and myself and my advisory committee we we thought okay this is a good opportunity to potentially look at some other cover crops. Red clover is still great. When it grows, it grows well. But the problem is it doesn't do it every year. So we need to maybe look at some other solutions to solve a similar problem. Here you are talking about how much you love red clover. <laughs> You're super red clover biased. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to say that you may have been bought by big red clover. But now we're looking for alternatives. What kind of alternatives are there? Yeah, so specifically in my project, we're looking at some some clovers, different types of clovers. One called Bursine clover, another one called Balanza clover, and then a third one called Austrian winter pea. The latter of the three, the Austrian winter pea, I wouldn't necessarily call it a novel crop in Ontario, but it's not as common as red clover, so that's kind of why we included it. Now, the other two, Bursine clover and Balanza clover, are definitely not common in Ontario. However, they are being sold in Ontario. But the thing is, there is no data on that. And they show there's pictures of these massive yields, especially of Balanza clover. And we're like, okay, well, that's not even in Ontario, or it's probably not even in Ontario. So we need to do some research on this and see what you can actually get. And and I I think I assumed up until this point, we don't eat clover, but cows? Cows? Yeah. Cows eat clover. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any, yeah. Do, is, it, is it a common feed for animals? Now, I can't necessarily speak on that point. They definitely do. And I'm not an animal scientist by any means, but adding legumes to a cow's diet is is beneficial. It increases your protein. And humans, we, cows, animals, everyone needs protein. That's actually, it's kind of a good segue because that's the second part of my project. And I was actually looking at the aspect of removing a cover crop, feeding it to animals, because this is potentially a high value, highly nutritious cover crop. But we had another kind of research gap that we, you know, these cover crops that, were, that we were testing, these legume cover crops, so that Bersine clover, Balanza clover, you know, they're novel, but we also don't know the actual quality of them. Like, can we feed them to cows? I mean, we, we assume you can just based on the fact that it's a legume and it'll probably be a little higher in nitrogen. However, we didn't know that. So we wanted to also look at this quality aspect of of the cover crops so that someone could theoretically feed it to cows. If you were a cow, <laughs> which clover would be your favorite? I can't say red clover because I've said yeah, that too much. You have. <laughs> you have. I would say I would I would I would say Bersine clover. These all the other kinds of clovers they sound like fashion designers or something. <laughs> Bersine clover. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's how they've been. Yeah, <laughs> the Balenciaga. I I have to say, all of this being said, you you've sold me. <laughs> you you have sold me on this guy. If this was Shark Tank, I'm 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 putting in a bid. <laughs> because at first I I was skeptical. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It's it has nothing to do with you, but I was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and now that we're here, 
you're telling me that there are benefits that uh, it protects from the velocity of rain. Yeah. It, it it prevents the washing away of nutrients. We can use it to help other plants like corn grow at the right time. We yes. can use it uh, even during off seasons. Yeah. And now you're adding additional things to it. You're just yeah. saying like, now we can take this cover crop that we have so many benefits from and then feed it to cows this is this is marketable this is this is big money i see it i see it going big did i did i summarize that did i do a decent job summarizing is there anything that that you feel that i should have said in that no i think you did a really good job one thing i will add though soil can get compacted and get really really compacted over time we're running big tractors over it and cover crops can actually break that compaction, so free the soil a bit. So that, sorry, that was another thing I meant to mention. But the reason I bring that up, and the reason I also talk about this whole rain thing and water taking away soil, is that it's not easy to put a value on that. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, how much is one kilogram of soil worth? Six dollars. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> But that's that's the that's the problem. And when you're trying to sell this to a farmer, a farmer is a businessman. So yes, you're getting these benefits. These benefits are great, but they're probably not seen in say one year or two years. They're, these are this these benefits are going to be seen in 10, 20, 30 years. That's a long time to be doing something to be putting money into it. You still have to buy the seed. You still have to plant it. If you want to grow it well, you probably got to fertilize it a bit. So there's a lot of costs that go into it. And that's really, I think, where the forage aspect, the harvesting it, the feeding to the cows has potential, which is really what I saw uh, being from a farm, really recognizing how much of a business it is. Obviously, there's a lot of advantages to environmental practices, but I wanted to still factor in the farmer and thinking, how can I further incentivize the farmer to do good and obviously environmental benefits great like but they take a long time so we need that short-term incentive that here's the paycheck continue to do this and harvesting the cover crop does that yeah that that there's your short-term immediate gratification that's exactly cash in the pocket exactly honestly you you are such a good salesperson (laughs) like i'm hooked I don't have a farm, and I'm like, I'm going to recover cups this season. I have like a like a little little patch of green grass in front of my apartment. It's really tiny. I'm going to grow cover crops. Yeah. Maybe red clover, but at the same time, maybe I'll whatever one of those other fashion designer clovers were. Well, let me know how they grow. Oh, I'll, oh I will, and I will be feeding them to cows. There you go. I got to first meet a cow, though. I don't – I could find a cow probably not too hard. <laughs> Wouldn't be no. All right, all right, that's that's not an issue. Summing it all up, if you could sum up everything that you do in one sentence, what would you say? There's many environmental, economical benefits to cover crops that aren't seen immediately. They are seen long term. So I need to come up with solutions to improve farmer uptake in the short term to see that future benefit in the long term. Beautiful. Beautiful. I feel that if this was in black and white and there was a commercial and you had a telephone number at the bottom of the screen and you spoke to me like that, I would just donate money. Even if you weren't accepting donation, I would just donate money. I felt that it was so sincere 
And so to the point that I, I can't say no to that. Okay, well, that is all the time that we have today. So we are going to wrap up over here. It has been an absolute pleasure, Dan. It really, really has been. I've learned more than I feel like I should have learned, only because I didn't realize how little I knew to begin with. <laughs> so it was a pleasure having you. Well, thank you so much for having me as well. I I just am so happy to, to talk about my research and be given the platform to talk about it. So thank you for doing what you do. Cover crops, cover crops, cover crops. I honestly just can't stop saying it. But Dan did a great job of covering cover crops. So after we talked, we took a little bit of time to recover, and we went back and forth listening to our audio to make sure that we did our best to represent the science that we were talking about. And after both Dan and I listened through it, we did not find anything that needed direct correcting. So this episode's fact check comes back negative. However, if there are things that change in the future and we realize the mistakes that we made, we will be the first ones to correct them. But until then, thank you for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.